Hey everyone, today I chat with Guy Fattel. Guy is a photographer from Israel who now lives here in Whistler, Canada. Guy's photography is largely based around skiing and he was actually the winner of the Deep Winter Photo Challenge this year in Whistler, which is basically a big contest where a number of pro photographers put together their work and the crowd votes on which is best. His slideshow is really, really cool and I definitely recommend checking it out. It's online now if you just look up Guy Patel and then uh, Deep Winter Photo Challenge and you'll find it there. In this episode, we talk about his three years serving the Israeli military after high school, uh, how he begged his parents for a camera at 13, how he goes about getting his clients these days for photo projects, and he also tells us how he makes what he claims to be the best coffee in the area. So we get into that a little bit. Anyways, we'll get right into it. Here is a chat with photographer Guy Fattel. Sitting here with Guy Fattel. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had a chance to even hang out before. Uh, the only way I know you is through your work. Mm-hmm. And I saw you, I saw your slideshow at the Deep Winter this year, which you won. So, yeah, yeah I was pretty stoked on your work there. Thanks. Um, yeah, I guess if you could, honestly, it's pretty cool because I don't know a ton about you. No. And I kind of no. like doing that with this I guess show I don't because, know a ton about you. Yeah, right exactly, now man. Either, so, so just like, we'll just so have a little conversation. But uh, yeah, can you tell me a bit about how you got into photography, a bit about your early days? Yeah, of course. Well, um, you know, it goes back to me. Um, I'm originally from Israel. Um, and I've kind of been photographing since I was a kid. I think I started shooting at like age 13 or 14. And at the time I was, uh, I, I really liked at the time, uh, not anymore, I guess, but uh, photography forums and websites and like photography communities and just sharing photos and, and stuff, talking about shots and gear and all that stuff. And that really got me hyped about photography when I was uh, a teenager. And I remember like, wanting to buy a DSLR at the time and I've never really had a camera before and I was bugging my parents like for months and months and you know they they thought it would just go off like any other hobby of yeah. uh, you know like having a PlayStation then yeah. you play around with it for a couple of weeks and then you'll get fed up and just chuck it away um and they gave me such a hard time like they wouldn't let me buy it and they wouldn't help out in buying it and they I wouldn't let you like, buy it with your own money or they wouldn't yeah let well you i guess i didn't have enough money yeah, i think yeah, i had yeah, like half of it okay. by then you yeah. know it's i was 13 and yeah getting a dslr with the kid lens back then it's a lot of money, lot of money. you know it is a lot of money yeah. <laughs> um so yeah um until I guess they cracked and I ended up getting a Nikon D50 and an 18-55mm. We got it second hand. My dad came with me. We bought it off this guy. I was so excited. I was just, yeah. like, just holding that camera. I was like, dude, this is, you know, and feels awesome. How did you crack them? Um, huh? How did you crack your parents into buying? I don't know. I was just yeah. consistent. Just consistent. I was just consistent. And I think I ended up paying for part of it and they paid for most of it, to yeah. be honest. And we got it secondhand. I think I found this pretty decent deal. So okay. for them, I guess it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I've been shooting, I guess, ever since. So yeah. it's still a hobby, but 
I guess my parents were a little wrong then. <laughs> I went a bit further. It's a long-term hobby. It's been a while now, right? Yeah. And so you got that camera around 13, and you were living in Israel with your family? Yeah. And exactly. what were you shooting at that time? Like, between um, then and, like, 18, what were you doing? Well, I was very into shooting landscapes, um, which I guess my photography style still kind of relates to. Um, I'd love shooting landscapes, and then I'd love shooting in the markets and on the streets so i'd go to the markets in israel and then later stages while travel sort of traveling i guess in europe with a family and stuff um but mainly in israel i'd go to local markets and just mm-hmm. shoot uh the food and vegetables shoot the people at the market stands shoot you know just street scenes cats dogs yeah going by just old ladies with with uh their baskets yeah so it really wasn't like you were just interested in photography yes i was just interested at the time in photography and capturing colors and just stuff that felt really cool yeah and were you releasing any of that for fun or Um, was it just for you it was just for me but i guess it was um yeah i was at the time i was part of these um photography communities um online and mm-hmm. yeah we'd we'd release it and share photos one another has taken and we um you know let each other know if we were stoked about their photo or if yeah. they should do this or that and um now i think about it we actually used to um have these little meetings every like month and um yeah i think I'd, i used to go to those quite a bit and we'd go um, either to a market or the mm-hmm. beach or a town or anywhere cool and Israel's pretty small so people who come from all over the place yeah people who just share their hobby of photography and yeah just a little photo community and that's kind of what got me started off I cool. think so the forum was mostly people around Israel yeah okay yeah and you were just only sharing... people around this oh, okay got <laughs> yeah. it and you yeah. guys were just sharing sharing your photos, letting yeah. you know what you liked, what you didn't like, and just kind of working together to build each other sort of, up into yeah. better photographers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. And from there, uh, I guess now you're mainly known for your ski photography, right? Mm-hmm. Did you... I have no idea what the ski scene's like in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's, it's um, nothing near what it is out here in Canada. But Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say it's fair enough to say that there's not much of a scene yeah. um, going there. And I totally randomly got into skiing so my my dad had a, a french friend from his high school days and you know they they kind of kept in touch i guess throughout their adult life and mm-hmm. one year they invited us to come ski with them in france in this tiny little ski resort um i think it was called ansel okay i've never been there since but okay. yeah tiny yeah. family french ski resort um pretty wild yeah um and yeah and my dad and me ended up going there i guess i was like 13 14 i don't know just had your dslr just, pretty fresh or did maybe you i it? think it was before that oh, okay though. you know what i think it was before yeah. that maybe i was 12 who knows yeah um i wasn't taking photos on that trip okay. so i think it was the second trip i was taking photos <laughs> on um yeah and we just went there and like Ended up skiing, we're in some French ski group, me and my dad with some other 
Frenchies and uh, yeah, and I freaking loved it. Yeah, I, I just loved it. I remember coming back home, needing to go to school, and just like, oh my god, I can't believe this is over. Like, when am I gonna ski next? So, what did you love about it? Were you a big athlete before that, or was it no. just kind of being out in the mountains? No, it was just being out there. Yeah. It was just getting on the snow skiing. I don't know. There was something about it that totally drew me mm. to it. No, nothing specific. I yeah. just, I loved it. And I knew I wanted to do more and more of it. Yeah. Yeah. But then I didn't get much of a chance to ski. Um, you know, we do have a little bit of skiing in Israel. There's a small mountain up on the north, on the border with Syria, actually. It's called Mount Hermon. Mm-hmm. Um, or as you'd say it in Hebrew, Al-Hermon. Um, and... Yeah, it's not open very often. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get the best conditions in the world, but yeah. it's it's funky. That's where you go to see people skiing with jeans. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Jeans time. and a leather jacket. Jeans and a leather jacket. Baseball or, hat. Yeah, mm-hmm. not even a jacket. You know, just jeans and t-shirt yeah. style. Jerry um, Central. Exactly. Yeah, you could <laughs> you could do Jerry of the Year there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I've only skied that two days in my life. Um, but I think throughout my teenage years i would have been on like five weeks skiing mm-hmm. you know we'd, we'd go once every year or two years yeah sometimes um each time i think it was in france and yeah and that was awesome and then pretty much um i i served in the military for three years in israel which is part of uh of what every israeli's got to do three years three years yeah wow um and I was serving in a combat unit as well. So, you know, like, you're pretty much... Military is surrounding your life. And there's not much else going on. So in a combat unit, what were you doing? What was your role? Um, well, I was... For majority of my service, I was a squad commander. Okay. So I had, um, at times, 10 soldiers under me. Okay. And then later on, I actually ended up doing... Um, in well, it's kind of I was in charge of a, an operating military base for all of wow. the supply and logistics yeah. of uh, right on the border with uh, Gaza Strip. Whoa. So yeah, pretty crazy. Um, rockets flying around and patrols and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's actually the highest rank job you can do without being an officer in the military. So, and how did you work your way up to that? Were you like, how did you feel about doing these three years? Were you feeling pretty good about it, or was it more um, of an obligation? It's, it's it's an obligation, but it's an obligation that everyone does. Like, yeah, it's kind of um, just something that everyone does. It's mm-hmm. there's no other option. You know, we grow up knowing we got to go to the military, and we see it in a very patriotic way. Yeah. Um, as to like that's what society is it's like you want to be part of society you go to the military yeah um and we're very driven to succeed and get into combat units and i think i came from a good a good town and a good um high school which really drives people to yeah to succeed and and do the best they can in the military so that's kind of where i came from and yeah, that was my three years of service, but it really takes over your life for three years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so in that time, photography must have been just kind of, pretty to the much side. non-existent. Pretty much yeah. non-existent. Like I'd, I'd that... go for months without shooting photo. 
And how that was that night. for you? Was it, you were just totally involved in what you were doing? Didn't even yeah, think about it? Yeah, I was or? just totally into the military and what I was doing at the time. And it's funny, but I'll go through periods of my life, um, especially in the non-winter time, where, yeah. yeah, I could find myself not shooting photos for a couple of months. Yeah. It's something that, you know, it's happened a few times in yeah. the past few years. You know, I'll just be doing something different um other than photography and and that kind of takes over for a bit and then i'll just come back to photography and pick it up and you're okay with that yeah 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 it's you fresh yeah um somehow it it's just something i've always done and is natural i don't feel um as if i'm missing it or as if i'm I'm missing part of it i just come back and i pick it up you know so when you got towards the end of the three years, was it a no-brainer that you were done? Because it sounds like you're at a pretty high level. Yeah, they it was, it was a you, no-brainer. It was you were. You it were was done a no-brainer, it. man. You, what you, was it like by the end? You wear out. Yeah. You wear out by the last few months. You're like literally just out of breath. You know, it's it's tough. Yeah. Uh, that way, so just constant you're ready, stress. You're like, ready to move on. Yeah. You wanna you wanna get out to the world, explore and explode you know you want to let go of those restrictions and and just get out there yeah is there anything that you took from that experience that you think is kind of helping you with your work ethic now or anything like that yeah i think it is work ethic yeah and knowing to deal with stress and high tension Mm -hmm. like physically and mentally as well exactly Um, yeah and yeah i mean if you're in the back country freezing your hands are cold yeah compared to what you probably went through it's it's kind of different you know i don't think i ever froze in the backcountry in the military no no exactly but, but just that mental strength mm. if you compare this experience of freezing here it's yeah. really not that big a deal compared to no. what you're dealing with right no i i, I think that really built me and it, it turns you into a mature man in a way yeah it, it has to that's mm-hmm. what it does and then yeah. in terms of leadership and directing people too that was probably mm-hmm. a big bonus as well right yeah yeah i got a lot out of it you know training to be a commander and then having all these soldiers under me and under my responsibility and yeah yeah it, you gotta sort of take care of their needs and make sure they're good and safe and train mm-hmm. them to be good soldiers um yeah all of that definitely builds a lot of character. Yeah, exactly. And then, so you left that, and how many years after military did you come out to Canada um, to start shooting? Yeah, well, I came out to Canada for the first time last year. Yep. Um, so that was the winter of 2016, I guess. Um, and I was just out here for a month, right? I was doing deep winter last year as well. Um so I was out here for a month. I loved it. I was crashing at a couple of friends' house and just met a bunch of people um, skiing good powder and <laughs> shooting a ton yeah. and kind of getting that in with Whistle back home as well and mm-hmm. just decided, well, I'm, I'm coming back here. Because yeah. prior to that, I was spending all of my winters in Europe. And for the two winters before that, I was based in the French Alps, which mm-hmm. is amazing. I love the skiing there. I mean, up till now, I, I don't think that much can compare to good conditions in Europe. You know, some of the really? alpine terrain. Even Canada? Even Canada. Really? I haven't I, been over there yet to ski, so. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's different in a way. It's, um, 
the skin and the quality here is much higher, but mm. I think like when it's good in Europe, it's pretty much uncomparable. Mm. Like a good powder blue day, bluebird day out there is, um, yeah, it's out of the ballpark. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so accessible. Um, and I was living for two winters in a place called Teen in the yep. Savoie yeah. in France. So Legendary spot. Teen Val d'Isère. They used to actually host the X Games there mm. um, the year before I, I ended up there. But um, yeah, the trains are so good and so accessible to big lines and big couloirs, like right off the chairlift, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Like, yeah. And just no rules. No rule. It's um, it's, just, it's a jungle. Yeah, you, you gotta, gotta take care of yourself. You gotta out take there, care right? of yourself. Yeah, you yeah. could get caught in an avalanche under the chairlift for yeah. what it's worth. So, how come you made the shift over to Canada then? Um, just realizing that this is where I want to be, um, business-wise, and mm-hmm. the way it felt for me as a person. Like I didn't yeah. feel like I belonged there. Like I ever belonged there. Okay. Very very much. I love the skiing, but in terms of. Uh, just the kind of the vibe you got from the people or what was it business wise you just thought there were more opportunities here yeah I felt business wise there were more opportunities here and then connecting with people mm. I found it easier to connect with people here as as opposed to there I guess yeah yeah cool so yeah you made the shift out here and I mean yeah if you want to kind of describe for people what your life is like now you're just telling me before the show you're primarily shooting in the winter and then you kind of spend the summer doing something different yeah seems to work nicely for you yeah we were talking about that i think there's a lot of people who are kind of playing that double um double season game but um yeah i'm primarily shooting a lot of skiing and backcountry uh in the winter and yeah i've always been doing something a little bit different with my with my summers and whether it's traveling or working back home in israel or now working uh here in canada for Mm -hmm. the past summer and yeah and now i'm kind of in a place where i've decided all right well i'm staying here in whistler and i want to continue to develop my photography throughout the rest of the year yeah and yeah it's an interesting time of kind of reaching out to new potential customers and um just figuring the game out you know Mm -hmm. like it's crazy right now it's changing nonstop. it's tough tough. yeah it's tough and it's challenging and it's it's interesting as well and exciting there's, exciting. So, there's opportunity for sure so yeah do you have a plan in place right now a bit of a plan in your mind for what you want the next little bit to look like um pretty much well i'm kind of working at the moment on something with a few brands um like outdoor gear brands that i'm shooting for mm-hmm. um so i'm doing that at the moment and yeah, and something really cool actually is uh, last weekend I actually hosted my first photo uh, workshop. Oh, cool! Yeah, and nice. it it was it was awesome. It was a huge, huge success. Um, it was an event that was actually sponsored by Lopro. Oh, nice! Yeah, backpack company. Yeah, like, so I'm gear. I'm actually a, an ambassador for Lopro, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and they've they came out with this uh, platform to celebrate their 50th anniversary yeah. and ambassadors all over North America and some even in Europe on, uh, I think it was July the 15th, were hosting a photo workshop, which um, 
was kind of sponsored and subsidized by Lowepro. Yeah. So um, yeah, we ended up getting a lot of uh, interest in it, and the Peak, which is uh, the local newspaper here in Whistler, yeah. ended up covering the event and nice. talking about it, and yeah, and we ended up like well before the event just selling out 20 out of 20 of the of the tickets nice. you know so <laughs> people came out from vancouver from pemberton from mm-hmm. whistler squamish all over the sea to sky um younger people you know like kids who their parents dropped them yeah. off which kind of related back to what i used to do when i started yeah they're just so excited was, to be out yeah, there shooting so everything probably there. right yeah just shooting I, the chairlift right up <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and we had like all the people join us and just people sharing their passion for photography. Mm-hmm. And I organized it in Rainbow Park with um, uh, a few of my friends who practice yoga. Some uh, yoga instructors, um, you know, my friend Emma Wishaw, who's uh, from Australia, but she does yoga groups here yeah. uh, in Rainbow Park and in some of the places. And then I connected with Bear Paw Yoga as well. Oh, yeah. And he joined us and we ended up doing like shooting acro yoga in the trees and in the yeah. water. And people just had an awesome time. Yeah. And, and then linking in all these businesses is a really yeah. smart move on your part, right? Because yeah. you're basically using their platforms as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be creative like that these days. Exactly, you gotta you gotta play that game and um, yeah, yeah. But um, it's interesting. So I'm really on a little mission now to work with some of these brands and develop that and reach yeah. out to new brands in the process. Yeah, um, whether it's emailing, calling, just like doing that stuff around here. Like my name has started to become a little more familiar. So it's yeah, for sure. A, a good way to start speaking to people yeah. here as well and yeah and now i'm also looking at developing the whole workshop uh i think i mean there's definitely potential there and definitely. people were so excited and that's something that i'd love to do like i'm mm-hmm. i was so passionate about that and sharing that knowledge and and enjoyment of shooting and and being out there and giving people a platform to to meet like these people doing extreme sports and stuff and um yeah so that's definitely something that i want to develop more in the month of august Mm -hmm. as well that's awesome yeah yeah what i really love about whistler community is that the majority of people are willing to share their knowledge it's not it's really not yeah so much a competition i mean there's probably a few people but (laughs) You know, There's a few people. Yeah, but the majority of photographers and videographers and even athletes mm-hmm. are willing to help out the people below them because they're really just passionate about what they're yeah. doing, which is what you're explaining to me, right? Exactly. It's like if you give someone some tools on how to color correct a photo in the way that you do and they end up working harder than you, and doing, like that's fine, right? They're just going to yeah. produce some more awesome photos for everyone to look at. Mm-hmm. So it's that's what I like about this community up here. Totally. It's yeah. it's definitely one of the more welcoming communities I've been part of. Whereas like coming here out of nowhere and just meeting people and just sharing what you're doing and people are always stoked and always happy to help. Yeah. You know, it's it's just kind of the way it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, willing to share that knowledge and I you know, when I was younger and kind of still, even until today, I'll reach out to photographers who I look up to and um and succeeded in fields which i want to gain success in i'll yeah. reach out and if if they want to help me out and speak and and advise and then, then i'm excited and that's just something i want to pass, pass on down. Yeah, yeah exactly and cool. if 
someone you know I've had a bunch of people who are also starting off and come to me and ask me for advice or how you did this and that and like yeah I, I mean taking that time to speak to them and reply back and really I mean just treat it the way I would have wanted to be treated yeah when I was starting off and and I think that's something that's really important to pass on that excitement and knowledge and you know when you're choosing potential brands to work with, mm-hmm. do you set kind of your values before you go out and approach them? Because, I mean, imagine if Walmart came to you <laughs> or something, right? And they're like, yeah, we'll pay you a lot of money to shoot. Yeah. Do you think about that beforehand? Um, I guess. That being said, I mean, if Walmart, if you're listening and you want a photographer, then I guess I'd go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, jokes aside, I'm kind of trying, you know, to reach out to to the brands that fit with what I think I'm good at and yeah. what I'm shooting. And that's really a lot of outdoors and, and lifestyle, mm-hmm. the outdoor active lifestyle. So in that sense, yeah, I'm kind of reaching out to specific brands that catch my eye and I think might need the need for, for high-level photography from around here or, or anywhere. And yeah. yeah, that's kind of what's leading my my for the mind yeah. i guess and i guess yeah. there's a lot of young kind of people getting into photography and creative fields as well mm-hmm. how are you right now going about reaching out to this pe- these people is there a certain way that you're um to? well whoever i have like a connection to you know whether it's uh an athlete that can connect me to his brand and stuff mm-hmm. then obviously that's the best way but if it's kind of out here, maybe more based in the U.S., but they do a lot of work here, then a lot of it is happening through email, just finding the yeah. right person in the marketing department to speak with. You know, it's a bit of a scramble. Yeah. But, yeah, just just like the good old way of... Yeah, this, just uh, a cold email, and then you just make sure your, your website's up to date, right, with all, yeah. of, all your photos. Yeah, and... my website's actually in a transition right now. But okay. um, I've put together... Um, I, I called it a visual PDF okay. um, and it's kind of showcasing my work in a few PDF um, pages which are really really easy and approachable to to open okay when when you're contacting someone by email so like they just open this file and they kind of see ah. what I'm about with with write on examples of the work that specifically I, I believe would fit my work that would fit the style That's of what really they'd smart. be looking for yeah I know when I get an email, if I have to click more than two links to see someone's mm-hmm. work, it's so much more likely that yeah. I'm not going to. So yeah, the PDF thing is a really good idea. What yeah. is involved in your PDF? Like, What does it kind of look like, the layout of it? It's really simple. It's literally kept it as short as I can, like three, four pages, Yeah, uh, as minimal as possible. Um, some of the photos that I think really fit well, a lot of uh, outdoor lifestyles, kind of photos not not as much of the crazy hardcore action um, mm-hmm. i i'm known for but um stuff that's super approachable yeah uh, for anyone and i put that together with some of the stuff i've been doing and kind of what my philosophy and vision is as a photographer and artist um just put that together and something that literally someone who's receiving a cold email can just boom just open it there in a short email and it's right in front of his eyes. Love he doesn't it. even need to go through your website and browse through sections and read the about. And, you know, it's just there. It's easy. They take two minutes, you know, yeah. even less. It, that's such a smart it's I'm going to do that for sure. That's such a good idea. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So before you came, 
or not before game or before the show started, we were talking a bit about coffee, and that's <laughs> something you work up at the uh, North Arm Farm, North Arm Farm in yeah. Pemberton, and yeah, tell me a little bit about your coffee background because yes. I am a huge addict. Awesome. Well. <laughs> I just start off by saying I love coffee. So do I. And I love good coffee. <laughs> and that's something that, you know, with all respect to Canada, it's tough to find good coffee here. Okay. It's not easy. It's about quantity to come here. By. It is. It it's is. It's about man. quantity. Yeah. And I can pour my entire coffee philosophy here on the table right Let's now. Do it. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, literally, I read an interesting article saying that the three countries with the best um, coffee in the world are Italy, Australia, and Israel. Mm. And it's funny, but we have such an amazing coffee culture in Israel. Now, that's not saying the coffee is made there, but just the culture and the way the coffee is served and the high standard of, of the way an espresso should come out and the way a cappuccino should be made is just very, very top-notch. Um, and, and there really is quite a bit to know and, and work around and skill involved with good coffee. And the way I see it and the way I enjoy my coffee is actually in smaller portions um, that really help you appreciate the coffee. And that's what drives me crazy when you go into like Starbucks and I'm like, or I the see the size station. they have. Yeah. And, and it's like the smallest size is like a wow. large size. Or you order a vente, 24 ounces of coffee, hmm? 24 ounces. That's the large size. That's yeah, absurd. That's like, if you can no, I, I believe in the eight ounce. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny. I, I was down in New Zealand pretty recently Yeah, and yeah, I'm so used to the coffee culture here and all the coffee in New Zealand is really expensive, right. over five bucks for the smallest yeah, coffee. Yeah, here it is. Yeah. And then, and then you can't get anything big enough. So mm-hmm. I was drinking two coffees every morning just to yeah. get my fix. But it was, yeah, it was served way better. Just right. a lot smaller quantity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's really what complements a coffee. Like, it doesn't make sense to consume it in, like, 16 ounce, 24 ounce. I don't know. It just, it doesn't make sense. So, just appreciate a coffee that's made right and in a small portion and measure. And then it's also the way it's served. You yeah. Know, in, in a mug with a plate and um, just that looks good and attractive that's that's part of the whole coffee experience and okay. coffee culture so once you get that done yeah what's next you've got the aesthetic you got like a smaller yeah. coffee so you're not gonna just get sick of it you mm-hmm. got a good mug got a good vibe you got some sun coming through the cafe window yes that's perfect now what i mean i guess then you just add good com- a company or a little bit of work you're doing on your laptop in a coffee shop. But in terms of the beans or anything like that, is there anything specific in okay, how you process well, them? Because I know you have spent a lot of time reading about that. Yeah, well, out. it's funny. I kind of like just fairly neutral roasts. You know, I, I don't like when, when you try and get too fancy and doing mm-hmm. something a little bit too cheeky. Yeah. kind of like keeping it super simple, okay. you know, it's a simple roast. And then knowing how to get the grind right. Um, and how much espresso to pour into a cup and mm-hmm. fit it with uh, the way you froth the milk, which is actually quite challenging. I don't know anyone who's ever tried working with those manual machines. Um, frothing the milk is, is not easy, and getting that right... Why? Because um, you can burn it? You can either burn it, you can get very little froth, you can get way too much froth, you can get bubbles. Yeah. Like, there's a whole kind of scheme to it, and... 
yeah, I've just been kind of doing it for years now. So it's kind of like with the photography, I, I wasn't making coffees for probably two years. And then I ended up getting this part-time job at the farm. And yeah. the first day I walk in, okay, I start fluffing the milk and it's, it's perfect. Yeah. It's just like getting back to photography and driving. It's just one of those things. But yeah, getting the temperature right and blending it well with the coffee. Yeah. You know, that that's really what makes for a perfect cup of coffee. And I've never been able to like do all of those drawings and paintings. You know, I just serve an aesthetic coffee. Oh, right. Really on, on top of the coffee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't do, do all of those. Do you want to? You don't care? You think it's No, stupid. I don't care for it. Don't <laughs> I don't care for it. You know, I kind of like a, that, man. I mean, yeah. in the end, I just want a good coffee. Well, That's... When you come by, I'll make a nice aesthetic coffee. It will be kind of a fallen leaf style. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and we'll keep it there. You'll enjoy a, a, it. just a good quality coffee. And... Is there anything you changed when you went to work at Northern Farm in terms of like the process and making it? Aside from like, getting the temperature right when you're frothing right. milk and stuff like that. Um, kind of just in the in the sense that everyone i serve coffee to now um and people are starting to come back like yeah. people are recognizing it it's just it's a long way away perfectly it's a way i clean the i guess the little detail of cleaning the head before before you pour a new shot of espresso yeah. making sure like everything is in the right temperatures just those basic little things and and serving it in a nice aesthetic way yeah. it's like not much was changed. I just have a very high standard and that's kind of what I've bought in, right. I guess. So, yeah. And then you're yeah. just your passion for it, man. Because yeah. when we were there... Yeah, I love talking to people about it as well. And yeah, I'll tell you exactly, about man. the article I've read and stuff. It's like, I'll, I'll repeat stories, I guess. But. When I was there <laughs> at the farm and you were working... I was already, I already had two coffees. Yeah, that day. I, just I couldn't, you guys I couldn't have another one. And cold drinks. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do another coffee. But just talking to you and seeing how excited you were about it, just, mm-hmm. I don't know, got me excited about it. Yeah. I need to do some more reading. So at home, I have the French press. Mm-hmm. And before the French press, I had that one that kind of looks like a kettle. And you put mm-hmm. the beans in, you tamp them, and the right. water goes from the bottom right. up I, to the you've top. You've got a machineta here. That, is that what that's called? I don't even know well, what it's called. Yeah. He's going to grab it right I'm now. We'll go take a right look. Now. Yeah, I noticed this guy. That guy. So what's yeah. it? How, what's it called? Um, I call it a machineta. So yeah, for people, people probably yeah. know what it is. Basically, yeah, the beans are in the middle. Water starts below. You mm-hmm. put it on the stove. You put it on the stove. The water percolates upwards. Exactly. Which always blows it's my funky. mind. You know what? How I, does don't, that work? I don't even know exactly how. It no works. one knows how that works. No man. one knows how it works. <laughs> and then you just literally get, depending on the size of the machineta, you'll actually get a very high le- level of espresso. You know, if the beans were good and the grind was right, because the machinero will take a bit of a different grind to okay. other coffee machines. If you did that right and didn't boil it too fast, then yeah. you're actually going to get a really fine shot of espresso. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, don't I know. love these things. I've been trying to decide between this and the French press over there. It's just like a generic French press. Yeah. I, I've been using that Definitely one more. Definitely You think so? Definitely. Totally. And then just heat up some hot water because I can't I yeah. don't drink espresso. We, we could try it after just to Let's see how it. it works out. All right. I'm down. Yeah. I'm going to see you in action. I'm, I'm down. I don't know. It's going to be exciting. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a little showdown and I'll, yeah. I'll let you know the results in the outro, <laughs> what we decide. That's sweet though. And yeah, so you're working up at the farm and I don't know, man, just having multiple passions that you can yeah, put down and then pick up yeah. when you want a little refresh and take a break from photography. Exactly. Or did you do a lot of reading about coffee or how did, is it just no, no, trial not, and error? Not a lot of reading. No. Um, I guess just, 
kind of, I'm, I'm a strong believer in all aspects of life, I guess, of just getting out there and doing stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I never studied photography either. Yeah, that exactly. Matter, you know, yeah. it's just like all these things like I've done in my life and I feel like I've just thrown into the water deep water i guess and it's just the learning process and mm -hmm. you, you know you learn it flesh and skin so you know i got told by someone who who was really good at making coffee he told me how to make coffee and yeah. i just picked it up and and took some some criticism and this and that and yeah. and yeah i i just i'm a strong believer in just doing stuff Putting you know, yourself in the putting hot yourself seat, right? In the hot seat. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Um, um, not saying that I don't like to to learn and and reach out to no. to getting new information and getting better at what I do, but um, put some pressure on yourself. Yeah, figure out how to make. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn. You're gonna have to. Yeah, I think or that's fail. something I've done in in yeah. many aspects of my life. Actually, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And yeah, with with the university or college, I'm not sure what you call it in Israel, but. How does it work if most people have to, if everyone has to serve three yeah. years? Is do most people do the three years and then you go to school after that? Um, exactly, yeah. It's kind of um, life is a little bit delayed. I guess yeah. life is delayed by three years in Israel, and really we we serve in the military from eighteen to twenty one. Yeah, and then most likely you finish at twenty one. You want to go and explore the world for a couple of years. So in theory, people don't really start university until they're 23 24 yep. um i guess in every other country people kids are just going at, 18, at 17 17 you know way too young to know what i wanted to do yeah but then you've kind of got that in hand in a way and that actually sometimes sometimes makes me a little jealous in a way when i see people you know at my age but just kind of had that advanced head start yeah i guess that that i didn't have but still, I mean, it's just kind of the way it works. And in Israel, yeah. it does make sense. Yeah, I wonder, though, if having a bit of a delayed time between high school and then making your decision on what you want to study mm -hmm. could give you a clearer idea of what you want. But it might or it might not, it might but, not. I, but I think you're definitely more mature to make that decision. For sure. You're definitely more there to incapable of making a mature decision mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, if I'd look back and think of myself as a high school kid literally and yeah. be like well no dude I, I don't know what what i want to do i'm not enough of a responsible adult to know what i want to do with myself so none yeah. of it makes sense that's interesting yeah yeah i, I didn't actually know the three-year rule i didn't know yeah. i was still in place i i bump into a lot of people like yeah. that it's like we're in the we're kind of in a different part of the world here for sure so far from yeah. what i'm used to and culture back home so how's it how's canada compare to the culture back home it's different it's it's so different and um i don't know it's it's a really difficult question for me to ask but it's something that i feel every day um and and there's always that cultural barrier in a sense um just I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just mm -hmm. I, I'm always adjusting, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm always adjusting whether it's friends that I have here and people that I meet here and jobs that I do and the way you drive and the way you you eat and it's yeah. everything is is just different. But but kind of easy to adjust to as well. Yeah. 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 Is there anything that stands out in particular? Like any aspect of it? Like. Uh, um, make, making friends or anything like that 
Well, yeah, I think the personal connections. It's like, to to a sense, I think it's easier for me to have a way deeper connection with an Israeli mm-hmm. than than it is with with a Canadian or anyone else from anywhere else in the world. And it's it's weird. It's not something I'd plan on, but it's just like th- this that cultural barrier mm-hmm. of I mean. Maybe it goes back, I don't know, to, to doing three years in the military. Yeah, that's that, a good point. That an experience that every, every Israeli shares, I guess. Something that connects that us together. That would definitely make you closer. And, Did you feel, like, towards the end of that three years, that you kind of had a like a really close bond with everyone you worked with? I mean, probably everyone in your country, too. Yeah. Like, some of you all yeah, can relate to. Totally. And then, you know, when Israel goes through difficult times, yeah. it's, it's insane. It's actually in a sense it's a beautiful thing to see how everyone in israel and even israelis like me who live abroad Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just as one suddenly like you wouldn't believe how in in tough times like all the people just won for for a moment a really good book that i was reading i don't know if you've read it it's called tribe by sebastian younger and basically Mm -hmm. it's the exact same thing he was I think he was a war journalist. He was over there for a while. And basically saying how bad events bring people together. So not, how 9-11 yeah. like suicide rates went down completely because everyone felt needed. Yeah. Right? So just... It's true. There's something about sharing a difficult, hard experience with mm-hmm. someone that just bonds you. Yeah. That kind of, I guess, just bonds you for life. Yeah. You know, no matter how long you haven't been around each other's always that thing that kind of connects you yeah and how do you feel the community here uh is it it's obviously different living here in whistler but do you feel like you feel a strong sense of community totally yeah Yeah. i feel a strong sense of community of course um and and like i said it's very very welcoming but then i just don't think i've been here enough time you know i've I've been here literally like probably like Mm -hmm. nine ten months Mm -hmm. um living here full-time yeah um i i just haven't been here enough time to really know exactly but i mean like the community here is amazingly welcoming yeah what stands out for me this town so for people that don't know whistler basically it's a big mountain town and if you live here you pretty much guaranteed do some sort of sport mountain biking or skiing snowboarding and compared to living in a city where Mm -hmm. they're people there's so many people doing so many different things and you can just live in a condo and kind of do your own thing mm-hmm. and you don't really feel a part of something perhaps like totally whereas here there's, i there's, can go out and talk to anyone and I, i'll have something in common yeah. with them yeah that's what i love about yeah. here is I, I feel like maybe it was that maybe was a cultural difference mm-hmm. um the love for what we do here where yeah. it's Literally just being outdoors, right? Ease the transition skiing, for you. But yeah, that that's such... It's common ground. It's yeah. passion that I share with literally everyone in this town. Yeah. Is is the love for being outdoors in the mountains. And one thing that I just admire about this place is how everyone's just so sorry, down um, to do stuff. And get yeah. out there and yeah. hike and, and ski and, and just live this active lifestyle and, yeah. and be excited about it you know mm-hmm. not have other things lead their decision making mm-hmm. in life i guess 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very unique spot in that sense. I mean, yeah. 10,000 people actually live here. It seems like totally. most people are on the exact same page. Totally. Yeah, and and really you lucky. get to meet people all the time, you know, yeah. trying to be more and more open to just speak to, to people I meet along the way and have yeah. a conversation and share what I'm doing and hear about what they're doing and why yeah. they're here and stuff. And like, it, it's just cool because you build these connections that are, that seem random, but I guess in, in a sense, they're not even that random because we're just here for the same reason. Yeah. yeah. Like us right now yeah exactly i haven't even talked to you before really totally yeah Yeah, i i literally seen this as kind of our first ever conversation yeah yeah there you go and it was a good one Mm -hmm. yeah so anything specific are you doing any more workshops that you want people to keep an eye out for or just check out your website um well i'm gonna be i'm working right now on ideas and plans for the next workshop yeah um but definitely i'm gonna be posting about it um on social media so like cool. especially instagram and facebook on my website as well but yeah like i'm gonna put the word out i'm not gonna shy off of that um, what are the links then for that hmm? what are the links for your instagram and website yeah so my instagram is guy fatal photography and um, my website is guy um is that one t in the last it's name? double t double t yeah. all right yeah, and I'm guessing anyone who's watching the sorry, listening, listening yeah, to the yeah. podcast. Yeah, my name is going to be there. So Yeah, exactly. There'll be a link below the podcast. You photography. And you'll, <laughs> and you'll find them online. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I would highly recommend checking out your Deep Winter. So Guy Fatel's Deep Winter yeah. 2017, which won the whole contest and totally deserved it. Thanks. Yeah, I, I love that, that one, man. It was so good. I mean, yeah. you, you working with Ryan, Kenny, yeah. put that together is yeah, and Great it's teamwork. it's funny because we were gonna. I, this is the second year I did Deep Winter, and he was gonna edit my slideshow last year, and it just didn't work out because he had to go on an assignment, um, and he really really wanted to do it. He was mm-hmm. stoked about doing it with me. I was super excited about doing it with yeah. him as well, and then it just didn't work out last year. But you know, I I believe as well that things are meant to be, and yeah. We ended up doing it this year as well, and um, it was a big year for both of us because he won Intersection too. Yeah, he did this year, and I was kind of helping him out as well a little bit on that. And yeah, it's um, yeah, check the slideshow out. It's definitely. on my social and on my website. Definitely lead to it. Or just search Guy Fatal Deep Winter 2017 on Google. There you it's go. There as well. Right on. All right, man. Thanks so much for doing this. It's nice to finally have a longer conversation. Totally. I'll do another one soon. Follow Mm -hmm. up. For sure. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed it, you can head over to iTunes. Feel free to subscribe or you can check out the website. And we also post these podcasts on YouTube. If you enjoyed it, you can leave a review on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the monthly email.